Well, good evening again, Water of Life. It is Wednesday night, and so we're so excited to have uh, just one more study in the book of Acts tonight, an opportunity to get together on a Wednesday night, uh, interact with God's word, worship together. Uh, so I've been looking forward to this all week. I, I've just been thinking about what we're gonna say, what we're gonna talk about, what we're gonna study. I've been in the book of Acts and just been enjoying this study so much, as I'm sure a lot of you have as well. My name is John, I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff. And just as a reminder, uh, this is an interactive study. We uh, have kind of come up with this format that we all are loving. And so as you are worshiping and then as you get into, as we get into the study in the book of Acts, uh, write down your questions and you can share those with us either on the online chat on the live stream or through Facebook Live, or you can email them to us to onlinepastor at wateroflifecc.org and we'll get all those questions together. And at the end of our study, I'll come up here uh, with Pastor Shane, and we will answer all those questions the best we can uh, about whatever's going on in your heart. In fact, tonight, normally we say just involved with the study at hand, but uh, tonight maybe we'll let it, let it go a little bit, and you can ask your questions of us and see uh, what we can come up with in terms of a conversation. And so it's always a great time together. I want to remind you as well, uh, if you're looking for updates as to what's going on at all of our campuses, you can go to wallupdates.com. That's wallupdates.com, W-O-L-updates.com. And uh, there's always good updates on there as to what's going on and what's happening uh, with our kids, with our students. I know the students right now are doing an Instagram live event. So if you have teenagers in the house, they can go over to our inst their Instagram page at, uh, for Activate. And uh, they'll have a great time as well. And so before we get into worship, I wanna encourage you to just uh, ready your hearts. Uh, I have a scripture that I wanna share with you. Uh, we're talking about Paul and his journey to Rome today. It's kind of the end of the book of Acts and it's kind of this culmination of all that's happened and, and the church's next steps. But I think as Paul went to Rome and later on as he had a relationship with the Roman church, he wrote some things that I think we can definitely apply to us today that a lot of us need to hear. And so this is from one of my favorite chapters, Romans chapter eight. Starting with verse 35, Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he goes on to say in 37, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Father God, we come to you today. Lord, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who inspired those words, Father, that you would affirm in our hearts that just as there's so much confusion swirling around us, God, that there's so much chaos in our world, that it seems like every morning when we wake up and put on the news, it's, or get on our news app, it's, it's a fear or anxiety that there's gonna be another, another shoe that drops, another thing, another event, another trial, another persecution, another frustration, another point where sinful mankind, it really just shows uh, his face. And so God, I pray that you would affirm in our hearts that you are still on the throne, that you still love us with an unconquerable love, an undying love, and that there is nothing in all of creation, things that we've never even imagined, things that have happened in the past, things that are happening in our present, there is nothing that can separate us from you. That your love overwhelms all of it and overshadows all of it. And in the end, that's all that will be there. It's us in our relationship with you. 
your love for us that was so incredibly strong that you would send your own son to be sacrificed so that we could be in relationship with you. So Father, thank you for these truths. May we just sit in them tonight as we worship and as we go into the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't you uh, ready yourselves, whether you're standing up, wherever you're at, however you're doing it, whatever your posture is, let's worship together.
Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for a chance to be together again for another week. Thank you for a chance to worship together. Thank you that we can say things like we just sang, that you're wonderful. Even in the midst of trial, frustration, pain, suffering, you're still good. And Father, while we don't always understand why, we know this, that you're always with us because you promised us that you'd be. God, thank you that a long time ago you saw it fit to preserve these texts that we'll study this week or tonight that we've looked at for the last 15 weeks to help us become more like you, to leverage us into your kingdom, to draw us into your kingdom, to change us, to fill us with your presence. And so as we finish our time together this week, God, would you come, would you speak to us? Would you deliver the things to us that you want us to hear? Not the things that have been said or will be said, but the things that you want to capture for our hearts, for the hearts of every single one of us looking at every screen now and in the future that you and you alone would preserve that, you would capture it, and that you would be the one that would speak. So give this time to you and just say thank you. Thank you for what the last few weeks have meant, and thank you for what you want to do with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, hey, I need to do something really quick um, before we jump in. So if you're with us right now live, listen, this has been our, this is our 15th week. And so this is going to be our last week as we finish the book of Acts. We are at the end of the book of Acts. And there's something that I just need to say here because all of you, the hundreds of you and thousands of you possibly even watching later or at home right now don't know this, but every single week it takes almost 20 people for this Bible study to happen so that you get it delivered to wherever you are sitting at home. Um, There are our online team, a lot of you are interacting with them, Josh has led our online team along with Nate and a few others every single week. And we just want to say thank you to you guys. You've done a fantastic job. I wish this could be the moment we could turn the camera around and show everybody. We can't do that because we just don't have the ability to do that. But there are also dozens of people that are working on this campus every week as well, from our media folks, our sound crew, to those who are working in our editing booths. We just want to say thank you. Thank you guys to them. And those of you guys um, who will never be known because of what you've done, we just want to say thank you to you too, to the worship teams. We've had dozens of worship teams come through here over the last 15 weeks. We just want to say thank you for, to you guys for making that happen. And so there's a lot of unsung heroes. Um, a lot of us probably just think that we turn a camera on. There are a lot of people back there behind those cameras that are making this happen for the last 15 weeks. And so we just want to say thank you to each of you. And so um, John hinted at it at the beginning of service. Um, we're going to finish up Acts, and I'll get into that in just a second. But the thing that's interesting about where we are in Acts is this. First of all, uh, we're at the very end. At the very end, Luke jumps back into the story, is still with, uh, with Paul in his journey, and Luke begins to talk to us and give us really, really pointed detail. And the story for the last two chapters really becomes about the historical journey. And so there's a couple things we want to do. We want to finish this off because there's some good themes in here. And there's some things that we want to talk about, and we need to tease out that will kind of really put the capstone on this entire journey of the church starting and we'll walk through that in a second but the other thing I want to say to you that I want to talk about at the top here before we jump into the text is this is um we want to pull the lid off a little bit tonight and just say this we know that the conversations of the last several weeks have generated lots of questions and a lot of you've been really polite and you've been really kind you've tried to ask questions that were really in vain with the teaching or around acts and we just want to say this we want to have some fun tonight so uh John and I we were talking earlier and I was talking to our online team I just said hey listen I think it'd be better if we just said, we want to talk about the teaching tonight. There's some stuff that's really important here for us to tease out. But we also want to just kind of pull the lid off and talk about this. What are the questions that have come up 
through this time, the quarantine time, through the things that have happened in our culture during this time, and just have some conversation around it tonight because so much of that is taking place in the book of Acts, and it is tied to this. But really, we want to say this. We want you guys to have some fun with tonight and ask some really important questions. And so we just want to put that out there to you guys. As you get going, you can put your questions into our chat anytime you want to. If you're on Facebook, you can do it there. If you want to on our live stream chat, you're welcome to do that as well. If you don't have a way to do that, you can email those questions as John shared with you to onlinepastor at wateroflifecc.org or you can call our church office and somebody can pick up the phone and take your question and get it turned in that way as well. We recognize not everybody has a chat platform, so we want to make sure that's accessible to you. So as I said, we are in part 15 of our journey through Acts. And so I um, wanted just to say in the front end personally, um, I wanted to thank our crew and everybody that's come in and out, and lots of volunteers coming in, operating cameras and worship teams. But personally, I just wanted to say thank you um, because it's been an honor and a privilege to be here and teach and um, to be able to share my heart with you guys um, as a church and to kind of lean into some really weighty things has been a privilege for me. And so um, I just wanted to say thanks. It's been great to do that, and I'll be back with you guys in a couple of weeks on the weekend. But I just wanted to say thanks. It's been a privilege for me to do this. It's been really fun for me to do it, too. I really enjoy this. And so I hope we can do it again. And so we can use this format and create some other spaces for something like this to continue in the future. Um, but as we wrap up Acts, just want to say thanks. It's been an honor to be with you guys. It's been super fun to be with you. And I hope tonight we have some fun as well. So um, now I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week cover a little bit of our background because as we kind of put a bow on this whole conversation around Acts, I think it's super important that we remember where we came from. And I think where we came from kind of starts with some themes. Um, and there's things that, that probably um, most of us have forgotten because we're so far down the journey in this thing and we've become so centered. And if you're following us, um, you've been following us for the last 15 weeks, you realize the conversation started out around Jesus, right? Jesus is the beginning. He's leaving. He goes to, to heaven. He gives a commandment to the disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then when he comes on you, then you're going to go to Judea, to Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And then you see the eruption at Pentecost. And then you see the birth of the Jerusalem church. And then all of a sudden something else changes. Changes, and then Paul has his conversion. And then once Paul's conversion happens, the story in Acts really begins to center around Paul and his journey. We come back to Jerusalem and we have in Acts 15 and 16, we have the Jerusalem council and we have some really neat things happen there. But really for the rest of the story, it begins to kind of serve as a launch pad for the story about Paul. Luke really zeroes in on this. Luke probably wrote this, uh, we're we guess probably 15 or 20 years after all of it happened is when we finally get a full manuscript from Luke. And so that would put us somewhere between 60 and uh, between 55 and 60 AD, which would put us about 22 to 25 years, maybe 27 years after Jesus. We think Paul arrived in Rome, and we'll talk about him arriving in Rome sometime around 60 AD. So that puts us like 23 to 27 years after Jesus ascended and went to heaven. So we are not far behind the Jesus movement, movement excuse me, moment, right? So 20 years, you think about that, just 20 years. Like I graduated from high school 20 years ago. So I, I, it, it feels like it was, you know, just yesterday. Imagine this, this is still fresh. This Jesus movement, the experience is still very new. And the Holy Spirit comes and these things begin to set out. Now, there's a couple thoughts as we jump into this. I want to kind of tease out here. And then I'm going to come back to them and revisit them as we finish tonight. And that's this. First, um, for us to miss the point of Acts, we will miss the point of Acts if we miss the message of transformation that is weaved into all of Acts. 
And I want to leave that there, and we're going to come back to it, but we can't miss this. Because one of the dangers of doing a study and, and going through verse by verse or chapter by chapter in our case, because we didn't always go verse by verse, but going chapter to chapter and talking about the content and talking about the theological implications of some of these things and what it really looks like. One of the dangers of this is that it can lead us to begin to understand our experience with Scripture as transactional. And I want to stop for a second and say this. Listen, we cannot for a second miss the call in Acts, as we talked about last week and the week before, the call in Acts specifically on Paul and on Peter and on the church. It's this thematic. It runs through the entire thing. The call to transformation that is tied to the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, transformation happens. Listen, don't miss this. The kingdom of God moves when people are willing to be put in places to be used for transformation. And that is abundantly clear over and over and over again from Peter going to Cornelius's house from the Jerusalem council to people going out into the streets and preaching and putting themselves in uncomfortable positions for them being beat from Stephen being stoned to death from the multiple martyrs that we see evolve out of this Jerusalem church and into the Gentile churches all of these things point to a really 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 specific thing that we have to recognize that studying scripture should lead to transformation not transaction this shouldn't be about information this shouldn't be about us just having an experience. This should be about transformation. Now, I know I'm preaching. I'm not getting into the text, but I'll get there. Listen, God didn't preserve this text for 2,000 years for us. For us just to get information. This is about change. And I'll touch on this in a little bit. But the truth of the matter is, is that Scripture, is part of its responsibility and goal is to is really to serve as a mirror for us to reflect on. And that was where we left off last week. We left on this reflection that the, king, the invitation to the kingdom of God is an invitation to transformation, and that transformation is an invitation to change, and change requires a willingness to wade into life, into a life or a moment of uncomfortability. And that's where we left off saying Paul recognized his call. He accepted the kingdom call, the, call the, the invitation to the kingdom, and he responded to it and was willing to wade into the uncomfortable things. And we see the miraculous come out of those things. We see him walk out of jails because the jails fell over out of these things. Listen, this is over and over and over a theme in this is that Paul is willing to wade into the uncomfortable, to live uncomfortably in order to see the kingdom of God come and change him and change the world around him. The big picture that we left off with last week as well was this, is that God is using something oppressive to transform his people, not for just this moment, but he's using Paul, as we'll see in just a second when he arrives in Rome, he's using Paul and he's using Peter and he's using his church and he's using oppressive moments to transform his people in that moment, but not just for that moment, for all time. And not just for that group of people, not just for Jews or Gentiles, but for all people, for all time. And he wants to do that with us, in us, and through us as well. And this is just, these stories are really, and, and really this scripture is really a, a launching pad for us to lean back into ourselves and see what God is doing with us. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't been with us, I would encourage you to go back because you missed almost the entire story. But part of that story included the first 15 verses, or excuse me, 15 chapters of the Gentile church kind of coming and being born, but the Jerusalem church and the Jewish church really emerging. And then 16 through 28 really is this picture of the Gentile church exploding, and the irony in that is that this is a Jewish messianic movement, but it 
It's ethnically diverse. And God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is kind of the theme that Acts kind of continues to give us. Um, but the heaven on earth is done through the Holy Spirit and being faithful to Jesus and being faithful to Jesus the way that the disciples understood it and the way that he presented it in the beginning of Acts is that we would share the good news and words and deeds, but also that we would form diverse communities where people were equal. Now, we're going to jump into chapter 27 and 28 right now. So if you want to turn over there, you can. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation as we walk through this. I'm going to talk about some of it because some of it's just historical information about what happens with Peter, or excuse me, with Paul as he goes on his journey to Rome. So I'll talk through that. But really, God is heading, and this is kind of the overall theme, God is heading to be center stage in Rome. That's really the picture here, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, because when with Paul's arrival, really then we see the church has arrived in Rome. Yes, there's Christians there. Yes, the way is already present. They are meeting, they are moving, and, and God is doing something. But really, Paul's arrival in Rome signifies the arrival of the church there too, and the church will never leave Rome no matter what happens. Don't, get, don't miss this. No matter what happens and what emperors try to do, the church never leaves Rome. And this is so big, and we're looking at it from a historical perspective, but really it's, it's a powerful moment. This is kind of like the crescendo for the entire story around Paul's life. Now, we left Paul off um, in jail in Caesarea well, where he had had his conversation uh, with Agrippa and where he'd have his conversation with Festus and we had his conversation with Felix. And they decided, because of his desire, that they would send him to stand before Caesar to hear his cause. Now, <clears throat> they put him on a boat. They sent him out of Caesarea. Then they put him on another boat. And that other boat is one that is a grain boat. That is, it tells us that it's an Alexandria boat. So it's an Egyptian boat. Um, a grain boat coming from Alexandria, which was probably at that time the most fertile land in the world. And it was going to Italy or to Rome. And what was happening is that because of the way that the trade winds work and stuff, if you're familiar with the Mediterranean world, they would actually leave Alexandria because the way that they had to follow the winds and they needed by the ports, they would come on the eastern side of the Mediterranean and you'd use the winds and the currents to push themselves back up and go back up into Rome because everything was sailing back then, obviously. A trip from Rome to uh, Alexandria, Egypt would probably take between two and three weeks. Um, a trip returning would take nearly two months, sometimes longer in Paul's case. We'll see much longer. So it's late fall. They leave Cyprus. Um, they've gone from from Caesarea, they've gone across a couple other islands. They've stopped in Cyprus, and Paul gives them kind of a warning. I don't think it's a good idea for us to go back out there. Paul shows he kind of has a familiarity with sailing, and he's like, hey, listen, um, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous time in the water. Storms are coming because it's the winter time. And they, um, and Luke, as you read these texts, as you go through and read them on your own as you should, you, Luke just gives us beautiful detail about everything that's happening. He gives us beautiful detail about what's, what's going on. It feels like it's a movie. It feels like you're present. It feels like you could, you're there because of the, the account that Luke gives him. And so what happens is that they leave Cyprus, <coughs> excuse me, and they're heading for Rome. Now the problem is, is that a storm comes up. And we'll pick up that conversation in just a second. But um, in chapter 27, verse 21, we'll pick that up in just a second. But for Paul, and this is kind of the idea that I want you to get out of this, this section in 27 that we'll read, is Paul, for him, and this is so, so like fundamental to the, to the Jesus life, but sometimes we miss it. 
for those that choose the invitation to the kingdom, like Paul, the supernatural is a way of life. Not a thing of the past, not a thing of that moment in life, but a persistent part of life. The supernatural showing up and speaking, the Spirit of God showing up and speaking, the Spirit of God coming and healing and restoring, physical healing, not just emotional healing, radical movements. And so often when we choose to partially encounter the kingdom, we get part of that supernatural experience, but we don't wade into the deepness of it because so often it requires an uncomfortability that we're not willing to walk into. But Paul is over and over and over again. In fact, here's what he says in chapter 27, verse 21. Now I want you to kind of get this picture. He is a prisoner on a boat. He's not in charge. He is not a leader on the boat. He is a prisoner on the boat. And this is what he says in verse 21. No one, right, they've left Cyprus and now they have a storm. They're in the middle of a storm, a typhoon, um, and they're near Crete. And no one has eaten for a long time, it says in verse 21. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place. Recalling that earlier in chapter 27, he had said, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't leave this space. And he says, but take courage. This is great. Don't miss this. Take courage. He's the slave telling the other people to take courage. Usually the slaves are the ones, or excuse me, the prisoners are the ones that should be being given the encouragement, right? But Paul the, the prisoner is giving other people encouragement. Don't miss the inside out and the upside down of what God is doing in this moment, using this oppressive moment to do glorious things for his kingdom. Don't miss this because he goes on and says this, but take courage, none of you will lose your life, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of God came to me and to whom I belong, the God I belong to, stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What more you want to hear? God is in this goodness and has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, and it will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. Now, get this for a second. The boldness, his willingness to speak out what God told him. I mean, God, he could have kept that to himself, hoping that it wasn't, you know, bad food or hoping it wasn't just a figment of that imagination. We, we have this conversation a lot. I've had this conversation with friends a lot. Like, what is the difference between the craziest of my imagination and the Holy Spirit speaking? And the real question is, is familiarity. The familiarity with what God is doing in the moment and the rhythm and, and realizing that. And for so often, so often the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about other things that aren't about us. Clearly he wants to he wants to convict and he wants to correct and he wants to heal and he wants to restore and he wants to redeem. And that's really the purpose of scripture, right? And this is what we started the conversation. And I hope you get that as we go through this time together tonight, as you get this, as we finish this whole thing, as you go on and do Bible study on your own, that scripture should do a couple of things. First of all, scripture should make us uncomfortable. I was reading first Peter today in chapter two, and I posted about this today because there's something that happens in 1 Peter in chapter 2 when he says, obey all the authority of mankind, of flesh, of, of earthly authority. Obey all of it. And I, I don't know about you, but those are things that make me really uncomfortable. And my point is this is that scripture, scripture should make us uncomfortable because scripture is designed and should transform us. And in order for us to be transformed, we have to become uncomfortable, just like Peter, just like Paul. We have to become radically uncomfortable in order for change to happen. 
And that's really the call of the, of the kingdom. We've talked about for the last few weeks, and this is the theme that runs through this entire final part of Acts, is that, that there's an invitation to the kingdom. The kingdom is an invitation is an invitation to transformation, and transformation requires change, and change always requires us being uncomfortable. And it's really uncomfortable to even say that, but here, here's the thing. The supernatural is always at work for those that are engaged in God's work that are engaged in kingdom acts that are beyond themselves. This is so important because Paul lives this way for the rest of his days. We're going to see it again in just a second. In just a second over in chapter 27, they get shipwrecked. Exactly what Paul says comes true, right? Exactly what he says. He's always looking for an opportunity to build the kingdom, but... And, and, and this is important because the kingdom is always looking for opportunities to break forth in everyday life. But are we looking for the opportunities for them to happen? And we'll see that in just a second in the rest of 28 because this is so important, or excuse me, um, and, and 27 because what happens here, and this is, this, is, this is beyond me because Paul leverages moments, every moment. He lives in the present. He's aware of the future, but he's not looking past the present because if I'm the guy, and, and get this, so their, their ship breaks apart, and this happens at the end of 27, their ship breaks apart and they land in an island. Everyone lives. They're all able to swim to shore. They all live. They're greeted warmly by people that live there and they are taken in and given shelter. In fact, we end up reading that they stay for three months. They stay the whole winter until another ship comes through that can carry them through and take them to Rome. I get this. Paul isn't looking to be free. He surrendered to the call of the kingdom. Paul should be looking to be free. I know I would. I'd be, hey, this is unjust. This isn't okay. I don't know about you, but if I'd been now in jail for two plus years, I'd be really frustrated. Because I would say, this is unjust. This isn't okay. But Paul is less concerned about his freedom. And this is a message to you, a message to me. This is a message to all of us. He is less concerned about his freedom than he is about the kingdom. And he doesn't make any qualms about the kingdom of God not being tied to f- physical freedom. In fact, he makes just the other argument. I can be in bondage and still be free in the kingdom of God. You can put me in chains, but you can't stop the kingdom of God inside of me. And he does this over and over and over again. I love what he does. He's not looking to be free. He's willing to be uncomfortable. And when you're willing to be uncomfortable, you will always be in the middle of what he, God, is up to. So here's what happens. They get on this island. They're sick people. In fact, the first night they're on the island, Paul goes to build a fire. He reaches in a pile of wood to grab some wood to put it on the fire. He gets bit in the hand by a snake. In fact, the, the Luke tells us he picked up his hand and he had to shake the snake off his hand. And all of the locals were believing that, um, that he was going to die because this is a really, really, really poisonous snake. Apparently, everyone who gets bit by it dies. Paul shakes it off, put the, puts the wood on the fire, and they look at him waiting for him to die, and he doesn't die. Immediately, they assume that he's a god. So something else happens here. Uh, listen, the reason I'm sharing that is that the supernatural is happening. The supernatural is happening in this moment. And watch this. Chapter 28, verse 7. It says this, Near the shore where they landed, um, there was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. So Paul went in and prayed with him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all, get this, all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. Get this. All the people that were sick, the entire island. Malta's not a huge island, but it's not a tiny island. 
It is fully inhabited. All the people that were sick came to Paul. Here's what happens. So Paul goes in, heals this guy's dad, and get this. Paul doesn't do this under his own authority. Paul doesn't do this for his own glory. Paul just keeps pointing back to heaven saying, if I lean into the kingdom of God and I lean into uncomfortable circumstances and I lean into a circumstance where I go pray for this guy's dad, knowing that he might not get better, I'm still going to lean into it because I think the kingdom of God wants opportunities to break through. And he said over and over and over again, whether I'm going to be under slave ship or I'm, I'm in prison, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to lean into the kingdom of God of God and what he wants to do in me, with me, and through me. I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable in order to see the kingdom of God break through into other people's lives, into other people's circumstances, and it changes everything for all people for all time. This changes life for us, and we'll see in just a second because in just a second he's going to arrive in Rome. When he arrives in Rome, something particular happens that's really important. What particularly happens that's super important is that God arrives in Rome and never leaves. This is super key. But it says this at the very end of, uh, excuse me, in chapter, chapter 29, 28, verse 9. It says, then all the other sick people on the island, all of them, came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honor. And when the time came to set sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Listen, again, for the kingdom. God uses this moment, heals people, blesses people. You know that they're preaching the gospel at them, right? This isn't an accident. They're preaching the gospel at these people. They preach at them. They heal the sick. They share the good news. And then God says, oh, by the way, I'm not done with Paul. I'm not done with Luke. I'm going to send them on their journey still. So I'm going to go ahead and use these people who are blessed by my kingdom to bless them so that I can further my kingdom. See, this is, this is all about others. This is all about other people. And that's the thing that we mix up so often. So often in our culture today, we are told that the kingdom of God is for us when really we are for the kingdom. This is the call. And this is why so often, I'm going to lean into this for a second here, and then I'll come back to the end of chapter 28. So often in our culture today, we're told that the scripture is for us, for our benefit. Well, that may be somewhat true. The ultimate truth is that God is far less concerned about our individual happiness than he is about our growth about our transformation, about our healing. And when he's far more concerned about that, he's willing to, uh, to participate, excuse me, he's willing to leverage unjust, uncomfortable, sometimes evil things for his glory. And that's hard for us to process. And that doesn't mean God causes those things. That doesn't mean that God uh, allows them even, so, so to speak. Uh, really what it means is that God is an opportunist and saying, hey, listen, I'm bigger than the stuff. Because I'm far more concerned with your discipleship, and by that word what we use, that word discipleship, meaning becoming more like Jesus. I'm far more concerned with that than I am about the possessions that you have or about how happy and how emotionally secure you feel. I am more concerned about healing you so that you don't look for emotional security in other things, but you look to emotional security in me. Starting with your identity. Starting with the whole idea that our image as followers of Jesus and as children of God, come from creation. That we are literally made in the image of God. That, our, that what we carry has divine inspiration built into it. Not because of anything that we've done, but because God saw it fit to make humanity. Get this, this is all connected. We, 
We look past these moments because we look at ourselves and we want to self-actualize and we want ourselves to be, feel better about ourselves and we want to tell ourselves things that we want to hear. But the truth of the matter is, is God is far more concerned with his kingdom growing inside of you so he could change the world around you and around me than he is about what we own, how content we feel, and how luxurious and easy our lives are. Listen, the times that God shines the most in Scripture and in history is when things are challenging. And when we talk about being followers of Jesus, following Jesus means being acceptors of the invitation of the kingdom. The invitation of the kingdom to be that of transformation. The invitation of transformation being, hey, by the way, you have to change. And change always requires being uncomfortable. Yet somehow in all of our lives, myself included, we all want to be comfortable because change is hard. And, he, it, it, and this is where Paul, over and over and over again, breaks down this idea that the Christian life, that the Jesus life, that the Jesus follower's life is about being comfortable. In fact, over and over and over, he said, it's not about being comfortable, but it's about being in the spaces that the creator of heaven has designed for you to be in. And it's so hard because so many of us, myself, so many of us who've gone before, leaders in the churches, church, big C church, have been comfortable with those things being okay. Meaning this, that far too many people attend church, call themselves Christians, think they're following Jesus, but far too often, we can do those things and absolutely miss the point of being a Jesus follower. Here's what I'm saying. We can call ourselves followers of Jesus. A lot of us do, myself included. But we can call ourselves a Jesus follower without actually doing the things that Jesus asked us to follow. And that's a place that we should always live in tension. As we look at our lives and we examine our lives, as Paul examines his life, he just goes all in. He just throws it all on the table and says, I'm going fully in. As we examine our life, our thought life, our financial life, are these places that we are willing to be uncomfortable because the call to follow Jesus is uncomfortable. The call to discipleship to become more like Jesus requires uncomfortability on a magnitude that we don't want to admit. It's big. It's everywhere. It's always. That doesn't mean we suffer all the time. It means that when we get in places where we feel comfort or we are seeking comfort instead of seeking the kingdom, we begin to ask ourselves questions like this. Who am I living for? Whose kingdom am I living for? My kingdom? My comfort? Or his? And his kingdom always looks different than ours because his kingdom always involves other people. Always involves our lives being leveraged for other people. And this is what's going to happen to Paul as he lands in Rome. So let me jump to the final thing here because there's a couple other things I want to share before we're done. I want to make sure we have time to answer a bunch of questions too. Paul arrives in Rome, <clears throat> three months on Malta. They get on another ship. They go back to sea. Roman followers hear that, Jesus, or that, that Paul is coming. They meet him along the way. It's really cool, that, this story, because Paul, remember at this point, has already written to the Roman people. So the Roman church he's already written to. So he's built relationship. They've been corresponding. We have one letter. I'm guessing there are multiple letters. We only have one letter, Romans. 
um, and, and we're guessing there's more correspondence. We obviously see that here in the text. And then um, they arrive, and something's really, really important here, and I said this before, I'll say it one more time, that Paul's arrival is ultimate, ultimately symbolic of the church's arrival in Rome, the center of the world. And that Jesus and the Jesus followers, the way, are going to be put on a stage for all to see. The thing that's so interesting here is that Paul arrives in Rome, and Jesus never leaves Rome. Don't get this. This is, this, this is the final arrival. Jesus and his story arrive in Rome and never leave. Get this. Less than 200 years later, crosses will adorn the very, very places that Caesar's faces were. In 200 years, from Paul's moment, the entire Roman Empire will worship Jesus. This is big. This is like the crescendo of the Christian moment. Christ, the church, have arrived in Rome, the center of the entire universe. And listen, I know, listen, paradigms are going to collide here. History shows us that. Paul seems to kind of know it. It's a big deal for him to go. And his ardent longing and desire to be in Rome really kind of gives us a picture. He knows that something big is supposed to happen in Rome. I don't think that he probably understood that it would change all the world for all time. Maybe he did. Maybe we should think more like that. But he understood and he was committed to it. He was committed to staying a prisoner. He was committed to doing all kinds of things, whatever it took to get to Rome because he knew God wanted him to be in Rome. And we look back now and realize what God does with him in Rome can never be undone by people. Nero tries to undo it. Nero kills Paul and still can't undo what God has already done in Rome, the center of the world at that time. The center of the world is going to be the stage by which God launches his kingdom into all the world. Apollo's arrival is ultimately kind of a symbolic thing. But he's placed in house arrest for two years, waiting trial. But something so cool about what happens in those two years. He's given the freedom to meet with whoever he wants to. He's not impeded at all, it says in chapter 28, at all in sharing the gospel. So he just starts meeting with people. And right away when he arrives, two days after he gets there, he starts sharing. Excuse me, three days. And I want to read that to you because this is the kind of the final act. It's a sermon. This is the final moments of Acts. It's a sermon. It is a message from Paul to the Jewish people that are in the Jews in Rome. And it's the gospel message. And it's the one that he wants them to remember. And it's important because God's going to use an unjust moment again to accomplish his redemptive act of transformation in these people. That, that the scripture that we have in front of us is really meant for us to reflect on and use as a mirror. And I, want, and I hope you'll do that as we've gone through this, as you rethink through Acts, but mostly as we read this last few verses. It says this, three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders and he said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. Basically, he's saying, I'm innocent. I'm being charged of guilt. But he goes on, the Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for death or for the death sentence. 
But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar. Remember, we talked through this a couple of weeks ago. His trial last week and the week before. His trial begins to kind of take on this like mirror image of Jesus' trial as well. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, can appeal to Caesar to try his case. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people, meaning I have no desire to put any of the people that have done me harm, who tried to kill me, who wanted to put me in, in jail, or really ultimately kill me. I don't want anything to come, harm to come of them. This is Jesus talking. This isn't Paul. Paul used to be the justice guy, right? Get this. This is the grace guy. This is the grace Paul saying, hey, listen, I want the kingdom of God to advance, and the kingdom of God is not built on on broken paradigms. The kingdom of God is built on a paradigm of grace. And so he keeps going. Watch this. Don't miss this. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted. So I can explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. He gets it. I'm using this chain, this chain that I'm here for because of the Messiah. I'm going to use it. I'm not going to be overcome by my circumstance. I'm going to use my circumstance to overcome and allow the kingdom of God to be born through me and birthed through me and continue to do what I was called to do, like all followers of Jesus, to allow the kingdom to be born inside and through us. And he goes on, he says, They replied, We have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here. Which is really interesting because for two years, the people in Israel have been trying to kill Paul. You think that they would have reported him. Who knows why they don't know. We don't really understand. We can speculate. But they want to go on and say, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. Yeah, they go on and says, uh, <clears throat> Luke tells us that a time was set. And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging, the house where he was staying. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus and the scripture. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Get this. He's sharing the entire story of scripture from Genesis all the way through the law and the prophets all the way up to Jesus in this moment, right? Explaining to them how Jesus' life pointed back to all the things that were said and how the old things, the law and the prophets, all pointed towards Jesus. He spends all day explaining this to them. Probably dialoguing, they would be in a large group, they would have been bantering back and forth, they would have asked questions, well, Paul, what about this? And he would have to answer Paul's intellect fully on display. He is working overtime with his mind and his heart, allowing his heart to be influenced by his mind and his mind by his heart so he could change the people around him because he believed that they needed to hear the message. And he goes on and says this, some were persuaded by the things they said, but others did not believe. Get this. Some of us have been persuaded by the love and the affection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his church and the people around us. Some of us have been hurt by it and still believe it. But some of us, some of us have heard it and thought that hearing it was believing when really belief is a verb that looks a lot like Paul's life. Well, Paul is so clear that we receive the gift of salvation through faith and faith alone. There's a response because of the, the magnitude of the kingdom of God and what God does in us as he heals us, as he transforms us. The response to that becomes, how can I not live for the kingdom? See what he says here, this is great. 
Some were persuaded by the things, but others did not believe. So many of us have sat and not believed. We haven't fully believed. We've partially believed. We've believed enough for this area of our life or that area of our life. We haven't believed for the whole thing. We haven't believed that the kingdom of God actually could be something that we could participate in, that the kingdom of God wants to be alive in us, that God wants to heal people through us, that God wants to restore people through us, that God wants to do signs and wonders through us, that God wants to redeem. Maybe I, God wants to redeem structures and systems through us, that God wants to redeem our friends and our neighbors and our marriages and our spouses and our kids through us. Amanda and I were talking about this the other day. We were driving out to um, just take a day away. We hadn't been away. In fact, our daughter's one and a half, and because of COVID and some other things, like, we've not actually been able to spend a night away. And so we drove um, out to the desert to spend the night <clears throat> for a night, and uh, we were driving out and just having a conversation about kids and family. And uh, one of the things that came up is the conversation about how hard it is to embrace the reality today that our job as parents is to reshape our kids' personality to look more like Jesus and to be healthy. And one of the things that we kind of dug into, and one of the reasons we struggle with messages like this, living like Paul, is that so often we forget that we are born broken. That as broken people, that we, we are born broken and God's responsibility and our parents' responsibility and God's desire, excuse me, not God's responsibility, God's desire is to change us and to reshape us to look more like him. And our, our job as parents is to acknowledge and remember that even our kids are born broken. And brokenness leads to sin and sin leads to evil and evil breaks people. And the thing that's so important is that we recognize that because we forget that. Because we live in a world that doesn't really believe that anymore. We live in a world that tells us that we're okay until something happens to us. But the truth is we've never been okay. From the day we were born, we weren't okay. And God has been in the active process of trying to redeem us, heal us, fix us, and reshape us. And we have to recognize that. If we don't admit that thing, our humanist perspectives will overrun our ability to understand what God is trying to do through the kingdom. Paul finishes by saying this. He says, the Holy Spirit, in verse 25, was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot Turn to me and let me heal them. I think this is a message for us as much as anybody. Their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal the process of getting uncomfortable, the process of getting to change really comes from here, from being willing to hear, see, and allow God to do what he wants to do. And that Paul finishes by saying this, and when, this is like the crescendo, remember, this is the, the very end of Acts. This is how Luke ties it all up for us. He says, so I want you to know, he's still addressing the crowd, that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. 
He goes on and says, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and nobody tried to stop him. Paul later dies in Rome at the hands of Nero, about eight years later. But Paul understands something so key. He understands himself to be in Rome, not for himself, but for the Jews and for the Jesus followers. It's the same conversation he had with Felix, with Festus and Agrippa. I'm not here for me. It looks like I'm here for me, but I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. He fully understands that his life is to be leveraged for other people. This is so important that we don't miss this. Because we started our conversation today about are we living in spaces that make us uncomfortable? Are we willing to live in spaces? We talked about this last week about race and privilege and money and time and travel and how we feel comfortable and seeking comfort over seeking uncomfortability and change and the kingdom. But the real, real, real pointed issue that happens in Acts is that the power and the presence of the kingdom show up through the Holy Spirit. And we miss the point of Acts if we miss the message of transformation. The Spirit begins a transformation in Acts. The Spirit arrives. Peter gets changed through his racism, his elitism. He has to come to terms with those things. Paul has his road to Damascus thing. Listen, this is just a theme of, of transformation over and over and over again in Acts. Road to Damascus, he has, Paul just has a radical transformation. The way the followers of Jesus, they have to embrace this, that, that, that Gentiles are okay that Jewish, Judaism wasn't the answer to all that Jesus was or is. Listen, don't miss this because we miss the entire point of Acts if we miss the message of transformation that's happening inside of it. The kingdom message of an invitation to change and to be transformed. Last thing is this, and we can jump to some questions. Studying scripture should lead us to transformation, not transaction. We said this at the beginning, but I wanted to revisit it. God preserved these texts for change, not information. See, Scripture do, should do two things, in my opinion. It should make us uncomfortable, and that uncomfortability should lead us to change and transformation. Or it should soothe, heal, restore, and give hope, which is another form of transformation. Really, the Scriptures should be this thing that we mirror, that we, that we bounce our lives off of, but also, and I, and I want to lean into this for a second as we finish here. The greatest tragedy that we could have is if we walk through 15 weeks and 28 chapters of Acts and we have a transaction of information. If we don't have some personal reflection on what God's trying to do with us as we look at Paul's life about him leaning us, uh, calling us to lean into this kingdom of uncomfortability so that change and transformation can happen, really that, that would be the biggest tragedy. And my hope for us and for you would be that we would reflect on these things. I'm hoping most of us have already started taking action and living different because of this, doing different, serving our communities, living uncomfortably, having conversations. Maybe just the first thing is at home, having conversations around race and fear and all the other things that are going on right now. But for us, as a community, and some of you aren't part of Water of Life, and I just want to say this, as the church, for us to go through this and miss the heart of transformation that's in it is for us just to have a transaction, not be transformed. And I hope that we can wade through that, recognizing what happened for Peter, what happens for the church, what happens for Paul. It's all about transformation. Now, I know this, and I'll throw a couple questions out there, and hopefully you guys will send some of them in. What are our greatest challenges with choosing the uncommon and uncomfortable path? 
I'm not sure what yours are, but these are just some thoughts. And how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as people that are called out? Ecclesia is the word that's used in Greek and means to have a purpose or to be called to something really specific or called out, not in, out. <clears throat> the last thought, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to take some of your questions, um, is this, that the Im- invitation to the kingdom of God, and I just want to finish with this thought, is an invitation to transformation. And that transformation is an invitation to change, and change requires a willingness to wade into life, or into a life, or a moment of uncomfortability. 15 weeks, man. 15, is that what it's been? Yeah. Not for me. I wasn't counting, but... I, yeah. uh, I've only been here for five. I did four in a row, the last four, and then I did one earlier, but... Yeah. I got to be part of a third of them. But you're like the unsung hero of this. The oh, it's been host fun. Host extraordinaire and, uh, yeah. No, I've really enjoyed it. I, as I've said a lot of times, it's always been a dream of mine to be able to just, you know, uh, one of the things, especially as we, as when I was a small groups pastor, was always, gosh, you know, you if you could interact with the pastor, if you could just raise your hand uh, in the middle of a sermon on Sunday and say, hey, wait a second, what do you mean by that? That would just be amazing, you know? And this is an opportunity for us to kind of virtually do that. And so we've kind of developed a, uh, an interesting group of people who, who are part of this and who ra- interact every week. And I know they're with us again tonight. And yeah. so... <laughs> well, we told people to have fun, so I'm uh, guessing that people probably Maybe we have shouldn't fun. have said that. I'm looking at one of these questions. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. maybe we shouldn't have said that. So, um, so we got a fun question. Are you going to read the fun question? I'm not going to read. You're the not going to read the fun question. No, okay. no, no. All right. um, it's like one of those: Is God too big to? Can God make a rock so big that He can't move it? Kind of question. Yeah. 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 Nice. But it involves a microwave and burrito. So <laughs> I'll let you uh, go with that. Yeah. So anyway, Shane, thanks so much for just taking on. I know you took one at, earlier, and then the last few weeks, and it's been really fun to to journey through this with you and hear your heart about this. We don't, we've never heard you teach, I think, like verse by verse like this. I've never heard myself teach verse by verse. <laughs> so it's, it's been good. We've really enjoyed it. I, I speak at least for myself. I know I have. No, thanks. Um, it's, and uh, and I, I need to say this, and I, I said, hey, thanks to all those other people earlier on, but thanks to you because you've made this happen and your grace in walking through this and really having a passion for this has kept it moving. And um, for myself, for Dan, like you've helped this happen in a way that uh, has been um, really profound. So thanks, man, because you really bring a lot to the table in this. And it's been important to have you here. You ask good questions, too, and help us rethink those things. You did it last week to me. Somebody even pointed out, they're like, hey, you kind of halfway answered that question. And then John just kind of called you out and then made you answer it again. And so thanks for doing that stuff. It's really good for us to, you've, you've really helped shape the conversation probably more than you realize. Well, it's fun. Like I said it's fun. So um, here, let's jump in. All right. I don't want to rob these guys of opportunity. Last, last chance to, to get you on the spot. You're in the hot seat. All right. So Corey L. Hi, Corey, by the way. Um, we, we've met here, and then I also got to meet him over the weekend. And, oh, cool. Uh, so here's, here's my question. I know it's kind of off point. No problem. I was born and raised Catholic, and they say how they are the original church and Peter being the first pope. I could never, I could just never wrap my mind around that. I know it isn't biblical. However, why that viewpoint with them? Where do they get that from? Great question. Um, And one that has a lot of rich history, but one that has a simple one too. The simple history is, um, is basically that 
Jesus tells Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. Right. Right. So this is kind of the initiation to Peter being the first leader of the church, right? Which is interesting because if you track with what we taught in Acts, I can tie this back here for you, Corey. I'm not intending to, but it really is. When you tie it back to Acts, you really realize James, Jesus' right. brother, really becomes Absolutely. the kind of like shoulder, the, the bearer. And But God does do some really powerful things with Peter. He brings in the Gentiles. He opens the door for it. Peter becomes kind of like the, uh, like the kind of, he bears the weight, the weight bearer of like that whole thing mm-hmm. with Cornelius and kind of opens the door for that to happen. So I think in a lot of ways, um, Peter is really a founding member of church. The other thing is, is um, historically speaking, Peter and Paul are given credit for um, kind of being the founders of the Roman church, which would make sense why, mm-hmm. um, why they were kind of see, be seen as like the first Pope he would. Um, and so uh, that, those two things historically have tied them together for him being the first Pope. Yeah. Peter would not have called himself the Pope, to be clear. Peter would have said, I'm a Jesus follower. There is only one leader. <laughs> but Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Aspen writes, you mentioned the passage in First Peter briefly. How do we reconcile following authority when we believe God is speaking something else to us? Paul didn't seem to follow any authority that was not of God. So what does that passage mean in this current context? Um, I'm not sure how much time we have to tease this out, but um, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole too far that we can't get out of. But I would say this, to be clear, Paul does actually submit to authority, and he honors it. Mm-hmm. In fact, we see him in the temple, because I posted something this week, and part of this question I think is, um, Coming from that, I posted something today about the Second Peter passage. Um, but the Second Peter passage really just says, "Hey, listen, you submit to all human authority." Um, and I get that. And, and there's been times that that passage has been used historically to even hold um, Africans enslaved in America. And so I, I don't want to skip past the, the importance of people abusing Scripture um, to do things like that. But I, I would I would say that Paul really does honor authority, and this is interesting. He appeals, he leverages it. I would disagree with the, the idea that Paul doesn't follow any authority that was not of God. Paul himself, in fact, identifies that God places governments and institutes them among people. Right. Um, and so I would say this as an example. You look at what he does at the temple, and he um, is at the temple, and get this. He sees the temple for what it is. He sees that it's corrupt, and he sees he, um, <clears throat> when he's first arrested, um, you remember he kind of talks bad about the um, high priest, and mm-hmm. he didn't realize he was talking about the high priest. He called the high priest a hypocrite or something. And when the high priest identified himself as the high priest and the person slapped him, he apologized and said, God calls us not to disparage those above us. And so I think there's something really interesting there because I've been trying to process this myself, and I, I think that there's a duality that's happening here that we don't like that stretches us, and that kind of comes from the idea that you have to submit to authority, but submitting to authority doesn't mean that you're complying with it mm-hmm. or that you're, that you're agreeing with it. Um, and so I think that there's two very different conversations there that oftentimes you see Paul will submit to it. Paul doesn't condemn it. He doesn't tell them they're evil. He just says, I'm innocent. Paul just maintains his innocence all the way through this whole thing and ultimately loses his life over it. Maintains his innocence. He doesn't tell people why he's better than them. He doesn't tell them. He just uses an opportunity. And so... I think the thing that's really important for us when we're looking at, you know, like 
civil unrest and these kind of things is God's saying these things to us intentionally on purpose because he's trying to help us understand. And, and this is where I want to be careful to not go down too far down the rabbit hole. Jesus over and over and over again, there's going to be people that disagree with me, but I, I, I bring them to challenge because Jesus over and over and over again avoids the issue of dealing with the political yeah. over and over and over again, or the government. He always he just doesn't even deal with the issue because he doesn't see it as the primary issue in this world. And I, I think neither should we. And that's really the issue and why I want to come full circle. It's not the real issue. And that's why being honoring of people in authority isn't really an issue for followers of Jesus. If they're asking you to bow down and worship, this is a whole different story, right? But yeah. really just honoring people and, and, and being kind and speaking well of people in authority um, really it comes from a set. I have no problem doing it. Here's why. Because I recognize that that isn't the ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have no problem doing that because those, those people don't hold the future. They don't hold all of all of time and eternity. And I think that's why Jesus just was never bothered by those things because he saw it for what it was. It was temporal, it was momentary, but the kingdom of God that he was speaking of was gonna last. I mean, we're reading about the kingdom of God here and we're still talking about the kingdom of God 2,000 years later and how many regime changes have happened in that time. And so I think when we honor the people that are in those places, we're saying, hey, listen, we recognize that you're here for now. We're not gonna disparage you. We're not gonna discourage you or speak down about you. But what we're gonna just say is we we realize the ultimate authority is in heaven. And in the spiritual realm, that doesn't mean that we, don't com- that we don't comply. It just means, hey, listen, I'm not worried about this part. This does, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't phase me. It doesn't make me uncomfortable when leaders make bad decisions. It doesn't make me uncomfortable because I know. I know that ultimately this is a moment in time. So Yeah. And just as much we as We might that, still be stuck down the rabbit hole, but I'm going to yeah. end there. <laughs> well, and just as much as that frustrated Jesus' followers 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. when they really laid out the, the carpet for him and, I mean, laid down the palm branches for him and, yeah. and offered him the opportunity to become a political leader. He did. And he frustrated them by not stepping into that role. Um, today, we're still trying to force Jesus to wear that, yeah. that, you know, that mantle, is to say, we still want him to be a political leader. We still want to name him as our, the reason for our, you know, whatever our, our social issue is. And um, he still refuses to do that, and he still frustrates us in some ways. And he says, I'm going to be the Messiah. I'm just not going to be the one that you wanted. Right. I'm the one you need, not the one you want. Right. We want the political leader. We want the person to justify us, to make our position, to justify our position that you're right, you know. But Jesus isn't interested in people being right. He's interested in the kingdom. And so often Jesus sidesteps being right for the intention of loving well, which he ultimately leaves us with that is what is right, yeah. that you would love well. Yeah, so much bigger than any mm-hmm. regime. Um, Valley Girl says, you mentioned how Paul was familiar with sailing, but more familiar with the spirit. Do you think that we can be familiar with church, um, like the thing we're doing, the sailing, and less familiar with God's spirit? I've seen the church, like capital C, the church universal, at a sort of crossroads with this. If we've gotten off track, what will it take to get back? Um, <clears throat> yes, and yes, I, I do think that... Um, we do find ourselves less familiar with God's spirit and more familiar with doing church. Um, I think we have to go back to why are we doing church? And I think that's one of the things that's been a blessing about the, about the quarantine time is just been like, hey, what is, what, what is church? What does church actually mean? What is the value in church? And why do we do it? And really, church is not about a building. Um, and I think so often we forget that. 
Um, so often, even working in a church, we forget that the church is yeah. not the building. Um, we even refer to it, you know. And so I think the thing that constantly we have to remember is that there's got to be a tension between what the Holy Spirit is drawing us to, what the world is saying, and living in the middle of that tension. Not because we're not going to default to what the Holy Spirit says, but if we're living in an in-between place, the, this place, mm-hmm. have, there has always got to be a tension between the world around us and what the Holy Spirit is drawing because that tension brings attention and it draws people to those things. If we're willing to let, wade into that intention, or excuse me, that tension, it will bring attention to those things. So the, the tension point for me would be us constantly reminding ourselves that the big service gatherings, that the weekend gatherings, that the Sabbath gathering, as we might want to call it, the Sabbath gathering, the weekend gathering is a place to celebrate and to, and to remind ourselves that we are people of the resurrection over and over again. It's a celebration, right? That we come together as friends and with family, and we might learn something, but most of the time, this is an inspiration. Our responsibility beyond that is that this isn't a place that we come just only get fed. This is a place that we come to celebrate in the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. This is always the picture of the Sabbath, was reminding, remembering what God had done, believing for God will do. And that was always the picture of Sabbath. What picture of Sabbath for us today is the Sabbath has always come and Sabbath was every day. So we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And we're going to bring our friends. We're going to bring our family. And we want to love them well. And that is really what the large group gathering church should be. When we get it confused with being our primary place or our source of feed, listen, Jesus is way more concerned about having a discipleship relationship with us than he is about having a weekend relationship with us. And so, uh, because a discipleship relationship changes the world, a weekend relationship makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. I think those are the tensions we got to work against. Yeah, that's such a, I mean, I grew up, as a lot of people did, church was Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. or 10, whatever, you know, and that was church. Like you said, we've conflated at least you didn't grow up as a pastor's kid because then it was every service <laughs> that's true but we've we've conflated the 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 building the name of the building with the event with the um the what we're our responsibility as christians and so the word church is almost like we we need to just change that out and say call this building something else call our sunday gathering something else and be the church and understand that you know, being the church is something so much bigger, like you were right saying. Right now, a bunch of you are calling it your house. So. That's true, yeah. That's good. Um, so the questions are rolling in, and, and, and including some luminaries that have piped in here. So we're going to have to move a lot faster. So That's let's, um, Yeah. So uh, Snuggles says, help me understand, <laughs> move fast, now explain discipleship. Um, help me understand discipleship and what, la- what that looks like in the church or what it should or could look like? Oh, man. Okay, so this is the, sorry, I missed that part of that discipleship conversation. Is this our question from Snuggles? Yes. Oh, fantastic. Um, I think that throughout time and and the journey, discipleship looks different. Um, Not because the principles of discipleship are different, but because the world that we live in, is different. People think differently. We process differently. That doesn't mean that the that brokenness is brokenness, that people are born broken, that we don't need a redeemer. That, that is always going to be true about how we address those things. Uh, one of the tendencies for myself and for people that I interact with a lot is to go back to older traditions and then see if they have life for us in the current moment. Meaning um, discipleship looks a lot more like us choosing to live like Jesus or live like Paul than show up on a weekend or allow ourselves to be entertained by some spiritual fancies. And, and I think that's a really hard thing to, to, to 
dig into today because I think so often we've been told that our job in this life is to find comfort when we see over and over again that our job is to find uncomfortability and to be transformed. And transformation doesn't happen in comfort. And I think that's really important for us to, to recognize. So when we talk about what should discipleship look like, discipleship should look like encountering God in a powerful way. The second part of that should be doing something with that encounter. Mm-hmm. And the third thing I would say is allowing transformation to be a persistent part of our journey. That when we get comfortable, we should get scared. Yeah. Hey, God's not, I, I need to... Not just mix it up, not to live in chaos, but to say, I'm living comfortable, so I, I'm, I'm approaching stall. Like if I'm a plane, I'm, 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 not, I'm not climbing anymore, I'm stalling. Mm-hmm. God, what do you need to do with me in me? And so I think that starts in um, the quiet places, and that is always how it was with Jesus, that alone with God, radical encounters with God, that do something inside of us that change us, and then it gives us the ability to live outward afterwards. And ultimately do the thing that Jesus said, to love others. Yeah. That's good. And I would, I'd probably add snuggles that, it, at least biblically, it always happened in the context of relationships, mm, you know, good. discipleship. Yeah. yeah, it started private, but it always, it, it always becomes public. Right. Always, yeah. Um, and never alone. I should say that. I should have said that. The discipleship is never alone. Never alone. Never. No. Melly Mel Rivera. Um, I might answer this question. This pandemic and things going on today is a great example of what Shane is saying. Suffering for God's kingdom and glory so that others can get drawn to him, right? Sure, right. <laughs> That's easy. Um, what do you think about that? Um, I think that far too often we're distracted by things like a pandemic in the middle of it, and it distracts us from what God's trying to do. And um, we have two options. We can use it as an opportunity to withdraw and reflect on what God is trying to do and lean into caring for our neighbors and people with the time that we have, or... We can just become overwhelmed by it. And I think that's really the, that is the Christian life. I mean, you look at Paul and he goes to jail for four years and you never read about him complaining. Yeah. In fact, he goes to jail for more than four years, but we have four years consistent. We're sure that he was in jail right. and you don't hear him complain. He wasn't even worried about the crisis. He was worried about the kingdom. And I think that's so yeah. important that he's not worried about a crisis. Paul wouldn't be worried about whether he should wear a mask or he wouldn't. He would just put his mask on and he would walk around and go do his thing and honor people because he was more concerned about reaching people's hearts than being right and more concerned about the kingdom than a crisis. And so he would leverage the crisis for whatever he needed to, right? You see that over and over again, his trials uses an opportunity to preach the gospel. And I think, yeah, I think we can use others to be, others can be drawn to him because of our lack of fear. And I think that's really important. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious or safe, but yeah. Um, And I would say, I think, I think you pointed out this at another time, but I would say too, I, I, I said kind of glibly that yes to your question, but I think where it says, is this suffering for God's kingdom and glory? Um, much of the suffering that's going on today has nothing to do with suffering for God's kingdom and glory. It's just, you know, it's the pandemic, it's other things. Um, but through it, like you said, others can be drawn to him. They see our patience, our perseverance, our love, so many things, that, ways courage, that the church can yeah. be a light Our looking right beyond now. this life. Right. Um, so we're, we're almost there and I've got a stack of questions. So, um, I'm going to have to, the questions could be week 16 of us. We can do that. I think uh, we're going to have to, I'm going to pick a couple here. Yeah. Um, and then we're just going to have to, unfortunately we're going to have to move on. So, um, 
how do you, this is, Mark says, how do you know when you are uncomfortable because of God's doing instead of being uncomfortable because of your doing? My pithy answer would be that, and I'm not sure if it's right or not, so apologize in advance, Mark. I don't mean for it to be pithy, but it will sound pithy. Um, my initial response is this, is that um, when you're uncomfortable because of your own doing, you will be hurting other people, or other people will suffer because of your decision. When you're uncomfortable because of God's doing, God is going to bless people. Mm-hmm. He's going to use your life to benefit other people's lives. This is like the weird par- like kingdom paradigm here. When when you're living out of your own brokenness and you're uncomfortable because of your own decisions, other people are going to pay the price for that. We might use things like being out of the will of God and those kind of things might be some mm-hmm. historical language, but I like the that you leaned into this uncomfortable language because I think it's much more clear. So my thought would be when you're leaning into uncomfortable moments that are really healthy, that are God moments, he's going to bless people around you. He's going to heal. He's going to restore. He's going to breathe life into people. Uh, when he's not, that may not happen immediately, but it, eventually that'll be, when it's not, when it's you, it, it's destructive. And that's yeah. really, yeah. So we're going to do one more question and a couple of comments. So Brenda, hi, Brenda. It's good to see you here. Said, some people call themselves Christians, but aren't actually following Jesus. I've been so disheartened about some things I'm, I've seen coming from Christians when it comes to race. I'm practicing grace, but honestly feels like it often lies on me, a person of color, to have grace, and I'm tired. I'm not even angry. I'm tired and heartbroken. Well, <clears throat> you know, the thing I think uh, that we all have to remember is that what's obvious to us is oftentimes not obvious to other people in the middle of their brokenness and their failure. Mm-hmm. And that's where the grace and that's where the understanding comes. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't. Um, but recognizing that people's blindness to their own sin, to their own failure, to their own brokenness, to their own bigotry um, is something that they haven't come to terms with yet. Um, do I think a reckoning with the church is happening? I do. I think people are really having a hard conversation, a hard look at themselves about yeah. how they see race, how they Hopefully. see people. I think they are. Whether they want to or not, they are. Now, whether people are responding well to that is a different question. I think what's happening for Brenda is people are responding poorly to yeah. their paradigm changing, their thing being being moved, their perspective being moved. And I think, um, I don't think it always means we're not following Jesus when we sin. <laughs> I think that's hard. I think we can be in the process of following Jesus and stumble. And I hope that this is a stumbling moment for the church that we learn from, that we grow from, that we heal from, that the yeah. world looks to us to lead from. I think we can, we can position ourselves to do that. Historically, race and reconciliation has happened in the church, and I hope it can continue to. But so often when people are hurt, we forget that this is that person's sin affecting us. And it feels really personal when it's based on the color of your skin. It feels really personal when it's based on the way that you speak or how, where you live or how you eat or dress. It feels really personal, but it's still sin. And looking past the sin is what Jesus always did because if he stopped at the sin, the cross never happens. No. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and what it tells me is I, I hear somebody who says that from our church who says they're a person of color who is tired and heartbroken and what that says to me is I need to think of the people in my life to whom I need to extend extra care during this time. 
uh, extra prayer uh, and extra grace. You know, I need to think about who, who am I going to encounter? Who do I have in my life? Or people I just meet on the street or whatever, wherever at the store. And can I extend more care to them? Can I extend more love, more prayer for them? Can I give them more grace for whatever's going on? Um, not to excuse things that are, you know, that are sin, but... We don't have to tolerate it. That's yeah. Not, we don't have to tolerate but it. Like but said, the, the church, it. Yeah. the church is beautifully poised to be a light on a hill right now. Mm-hmm. You think of an incredibly diverse group of people, I mean, incredible diversity, and they've spent their whole lives in this trying to figure out how to love people well. Yeah. We're perfectly positioned. We should be... Exactly. And I, I like I haven't said this publicly, but um, I've said this to in some staff meetings and some other places. Like, as a church, Water of Life. Let me be specific. As a, wa- a church, Water of Life is positioned in a really unique place. When we get up here and we have conversations about race, we had conversations with Bishop Omer. When we do marches, we have these, when we do marches and we end up at also at, at you know at police stations. There, there's something really important that that I don't want us to miss as we journey through this because we want to have more conversations about this over through the summertime at least and. I think the thing that we forget is that if our church leaned one way or the other, we lean more left or we lean more right, it, this would be a really easy conversation. Hey, yeah. this is the way that we should, but we don't as a church. We have never done that. We've kind of reached across the aisle and we've lived in this tension and our church is a very diverse reflection of that. Um, maybe some of you watching don't know that, but that is something I love because it isn't an easy conversation. It shouldn't be an easy conversation and it, because of the diversity of our church, it's not an easy conversation. We've got to lean into each other's stories, try to hear each other, and kind of come to a place where we recognize that God designed us with, <laughs> with himself in mind and that we got to see him in each other. Yeah, that's great. So a couple of comments. Um, we don't have to, or I'm, not that you need to respond. Jim and Terry say, I would love for these Bible studies to continue with Pastor Shane. Why would this not be able to happen? Uh, Jim and Terry will definitely take that thought. Um, and Love we'll, you guys. Yeah. Um, we might. We'll, we'll see what happens with quarantine. And our obviously our campus is busy, and so we can't always yeah. do this stuff throughout time. And like we said, it takes like 25-plus people to do this every week. So um, we're going to – we finish out Acts. So it the conversation simple. is murmuring in the background, background yeah. about what, how we could continue this going. So. It seems simple when you watch it. Um, being here, I mean, you realize there's – all these little people, little people, all these people dressed in black running around making this all work. Media people and um, people sitting at their computers. The worship and, team yeah. and everybody else. If it if it could just be a conversation between the two of us, I mean, I'm not doing anything, so I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, so some love from the online team. As you guys hopefully know, there's been a whole host of people who have been hosting online and praying for people who need it and chatting with you online and, and doing so many cool things to, to just engage and to create a much better experience, a much fuller experience. And so they're saying thank you so much to, to Shane, uh, but we want to thank them too, as, as Pastor Shane did earlier. We just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. It's been, um, we know that you've if really we're honest, enriched. we just get up here and talk. Yeah. They actually work. <laughs> and uh, we had someone called P.D., uh, who is piping in on this. He says, Pastor Shane, I have a question for you. How did you emerge into this place that you were in tonight? What are you doing, so, that you are doing such a tremendous job with the word? Your dad. 
<laughs> is this the part where I was supposed to be like, thanks, Dad. It's because of you. <laughs> it is a lot because of that. No, you're supposed to say, uh, Pastor Dan, you're on vacation right now. You're not supposed to be. He's driving, so I think he turned it on when he was driving. Oh, okay. He needs to rest. Love you guys. I didn't know you were watching. So, anyway. Don't watch. Just drive. <laughs> yeah, you can listen. Yeah. So, I can, can I? I'm gonna just kind of break the rules for a second. Uh, yeah. Chelsea asked a question that I didn't answer, and there's a lot of you that asked really good questions, actually. Yeah. And so, um, if you want to email me directly, I'd be happy to talk to you. If you want to Instagram me or Facebook me, I'd even, you know, we could set up a call and you could talk through this stuff. But Chelsea said another question for Shane: uh, What is the most seemingly outlandish thing that God has ever asked you to do personally that made you feel uncomfortable? Or it's made that you feel comfortable sharing. Um, this is going to sound dumb, but going into ministry. Yeah. Yeah, doing this. Like, I had zero desire as a young adult to do this. None. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that this is by far the most outlandish thing. And to stay. Like, yeah. I always thought, oh, I'll go do it for a while, you know. So that's the most outlandish thing, Chelsea, that, uh, that I've stayed. And I'm really grateful for it. Um, I met my wife here. That's the best thing. <laughs> <laughs> the most outlandish thing anybody else has done is marry me. So Yeah. Um, well, anyway. on behalf of Water of Life and the community and a lot of other people, thank you for saying yes. Thank you for choosing to go into ministry, and thank you for staying. Um, so I'm going to extend your offer. Um, so we have, uh, I think it was Joanne, Tater Tot, Masada, Chelsea, Kalani, um, Write Shane an email, yeah. and he'll answer your to questions. To John L. at waterofifecc.org. <laughs> exactly. No, I'd love to. If you want to talk, um, we can do, maybe we'll pick up some Instagram lives or something to answer some more questions at some point. But Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. So thanks again, and thank, thank you guys. Thank you guys, everybody who's online, uh, everybody who's been watching, wherever you've been watching. We just want to th say thank you so much. This really was a, a Bible study that was, was only going to work if we had people who would engage, if there were worshipers who would worship with us, if there were inquisitive minds who would send us questions. And so we want to say thank you so much for being a part of this journey over the past, you say 15? 15 yeah. weeks. And so um, my, my prayer for you is that we would be able as a church to go from this into other spaces that God has created for us to experience the same kinds of things. So I'm going to pray that for us real quick before we... Uh, formally are done. So Lord, we're thank thankful to you, most of all. Um, you built this church just as you promised through uh, Jesus to, to Peter when you said that verse that, uh, when, that Shane referenced earlier. Um, the verse was, uh, you are, I will call you Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God, we thank you that you build your church that you put us all together, all these people. And Father, I pray that as we move forward from this Wednesday night Bible study, that you would create spaces as you promised to do, that we would be able to experience uh, worship, that we would be able to experience going deeper in your word, that we would be able to experience community together in all kinds of beautiful ways that you've created for us. God, that we would just be obedient, maybe even when it's uncomfortable, to step into those spaces, to step into those relationships so that we would see uh, you continue to grow us in a beautiful and supernatural way. So God, I pray that you'd be with each one, keep them safe. Lord, be with their families. God, just speak to them. 
in ways that maybe you never have before, uh, before all this came, came around. So God, we thank you so much for your church. Pray traveling mercies on our pastor and Gail. And uh, thank you so much for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, that's it for us. We're gonna formally say goodnight. God bless you guys. And um, we'll see you at the weekend.